Welcome to another episode of Speculations on the Scriptures. I'm Jason Akinaka. Uh, we're covering 1st Nephi chapter 17 and 18 in this episode. My main speculations are that there was more drama than we sometimes think that happened in the wilderness and upon the ship. Uh, I uh, speculate that there may have been more deaths in the wilderness than just Ishmael's death, uh, and uh, that the uh, that Nephi was kind of a more alone on the ship than I originally thought. Okay, let's get into it. In chapter seventeen, Nephi is commanded to build a ship. His brothers brethren oppose him. He exhorts them by recounting the history of God's dealings with Israel. Nephi is filled with the power of God. His brethren are forbidden to touch him, lest they wither as a dry reed. This is about 592 to 591 B.C., and that is the chapter heading uh, summary of chapter 17. What we know is that Nephi uh, is commanded by God to build the ship. And um, in verse 17, it says that when my brethren saw that I was about to build a ship, they began to murmur against me, saying, Our brother is a fool, for he thinketh that he can build a ship, yea, and he also thinketh that he can cross these great waters. In verse 18, And thus my brethren did complain against me, and were desirous that they might not labor, for they did not believe that I could build a ship, neither would they believe that I was instructed of the Lord. I think that Nephi distinguishes the verbs he uses there uh, carefully. He says flat out, they didn't believe I could build a ship. And why should they? He'd never built a ship before. Uh, and two, neither would they believe that I was instructed of the Lord. That seems like a question of will. They did not want to believe that he was instructed of the Lord. And proof of that is that uh, Nephi says that he was exceedingly sorrowful because of the hardness of their hearts. And in verse 19, and now when they saw that I began to be sorrowful, they were glad in their hearts, insomuch that they did rejoice over me. These brothers are so happy to not have their younger brother rule over them or succeed. Uh, and then in 20, here's where the drama comes out for me. Uh, they begin to rant against him, and they say that uh, you're like our father who is full who has led us out of the land of Jerusalem, and we've wandered in the wilderness for these many years, which were eight years. It's a lot of years. And our women have toiled, being big with child, and they have borne children in the wilderness and suffered all things, save it were death. And it would have been better had they died before they came out of Jerusalem than to have suffered these afflictions. Now, uh, I'm thinking, okay, eight years in the wilderness... They were aware of the Atlantic Ocean, Iriantum, or the many waters. So they knew that it did not take eight years to get there. Um, they were just following Lehi, following this Leahona through this wilderness for eight years. Much like the children of Israel followed Moses and wandered around. Much longer than uh, you would think is necessary. And they suffered a lot in that. Ishmael died, they starved, so on and so forth. I speculate that um, 
for ne- for Laman and Lemuel to say that it would have been better that they died, uh, speaking of their wives, before they came out of Jerusalem, than to suffer the things they suffered. Uh, I don't think they're just talking about physical torture. I think maybe there's a possibility that they have had children die. Um, I also speculate because of the way that Nephi talks to them after that they weren't alone in that that perhaps a number of them had 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 lost children and as we know that's plausible it may not be factual in this case but um, it's plausible in starvation situations I believe the elderly and the young uh, suffer the the most uh, perish the quickest in verse 22 um, they Laman and Lemuel reiterate that the people at Jerusalem were righteous people that's what they believe in fact they say we know that they the people who are in the land of Jerusalem were righteous people for they kept the statutes and judgments of the Lord and all his commandments according to the law of Moses so Nephi lays into them he lays into them the history of Moses and, and the children of Israel he talks about the children uh, in the land before the Israelites took over um, in 33. Uh, he says, Now do you suppose that the children of this land, who were the Canaanites, who were in the land of promise, who were driven out by our fathers, do you suppose they were righteous? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. Now, I freely admit that having children die in the wilderness is purely speculation, but how heated... Um, that conversation would be if that were the case. Um, Both what is being put out there and laid out on the table by Laman and Lemuel and also by Nephi invoking uh, the children of Israel, the children of Canaan, and those who lived and those who died. Um, And based on righteousness, uh, those would be pretty harsh words in a way to hear uh, coming from from Nephi, but uh, he does clarify and he uses this as, as a teaching moment. In thirty four, he says, "Do you suppose that our fathers would have been more choice if they had been more righteous?" Sorry, I totally flubbed that. He says, "Do you suppose that our fathers would have been more choice than they if they had been righteous?" I say unto you, name. And this is the lesson. He says, "Behold, the Lord esteemeth." esteemeth all flesh in one he that is righteous is favored of god uh the the lesson is this that all are god's children and he'll choose the most righteous to accomplish his works i think that's a the deep insight here this isn't that uh it's not like the the bear in the forest analogy that how fast do you have to beat out run a bear only faster than the guy next to you Right, because the idea is that the bear catches him uh, as he is slower. Uh, you don't. The the, the, les- the lesson isn't that you should only be more righteous than the next guy, so that the destroying angel doesn't catch up with you. Uh, rather, the lesson is that um, if you are faithful and believing, God use will use you to save the world, and maybe not in this generation. Uh, but your actions may inspire or prepare the way 
for salvation to come. I, I think there's a really interesting lesson there, and, and especially as we've seen uh, Nephi's revelation about um, Christopher Columbus and the Founding Fathers and the Native Americans and all of that, uh, how basically the uh, Lord uses who he can to accomplish his purposes. Now, he further expands on that, in my opinion, in verses 36, 37, and 38. He talks about, uh, I'll just read them. Behold, the Lord hath created the earth, that it should be inhabited. And he hath created his children, that they should possess it. And he raiseth up a righteous nation, and destroyeth the nations of the wicked. And he leadeth away the righteous into precious lands, and the wicked he destroyeth, and, the, and curseth the land unto them for, his, for their sakes. This is a highly simplified version of how the Lord works. Um, he's built the earth, and he sends his children down, and he kind of operates on a survival of the righteousest. Uh, basically, those who live righteously, he tries to give them the best chance of survival, uh, and so he gives them promised lands so that they may perpetuate righteousness and, and righteously and save as many children of his as possible, generations and generations. And those who are unrighteous, he turns his face from and allows them to destroy themselves, uh, to be destroyed by the earth, to be destroyed by others, uh, essentially removing themselves from the gene pool so they don't perpetuate unrighteousness. Now, that's not doctrine. That is uh, my speculation, but I think there is a lesson there for us. Uh, and a lesson that Nephi was trying to teach Laman and Lemuel, that basically, if they straightened up and flew right, uh, things would go better for them. Um, and even if it didn't go better on an individual level, it would go better overall on a generational level. Because for all we know, Ishmael could have been righteous, and he died in the wilderness, uh, potentially of starvation. But because he was doing right and following Lehi and God, his family was there, and their uh, family uh, perpetuated forward in righteousness, at least part of them, a significant amount of them. And again in verse 43, Nephi says, I know that the day must surely come that they, speaking of, those at Jerusalem must be destroyed, save a few only who shall be led away into captivity. I think he's trying to warn them. He's saying going back to Jerusalem is not a good bet. Most everyone will be destroyed. Only a few will survive. And what did I just tell you about the unrighteous? The Lord does not try to preserve them. And he hasn't been mincing his words about it. He has called Laman and Lemuel unrighteous. So he's saying, I don't think you'll survive in as much as a loving way as possible. Now, this ticks them off so much that they want to uh, throw him into the depths of the ocean. They want to kill him again. Uh, and Nephi tells them, uh, don't touch me, because if you do, God will smite you. You'll wither as a dried reed. And then he puts in one last little plug. He says... If the Lord has such great power uh, that he can command the earth, how is it that he could not command 
me that I should build a ship? And this is the central question to Nephi's character. He has repeated over and over that God prepares a way to accomplish his commandments, no matter how crazy or unachievable they may seem. Uh, I think this was the central question for Laman and Lemuel too, although some might argue that they just didn't want to do those things. They were hard and they'd, they'd rather have uh, the simple pleasures in life. But I wonder sometimes if they were settling for simple pleasures because they did not believe in their ability to achieve the greater joy that comes from keeping commandments. And I wonder if this is the same with us. Is this the central question to all spiritual doubt? Is a lot of our failure because we don't trust God's ability to make us more than we are? Or in other words, that we can be more than we currently are, people of flesh and weakness. Because I think if we truly believed it, we truly believed that we were capable of what God tells us we're capable of, of becoming like him, I don't think the other uh, pleasures that the world offer would even appeal to us. Um, that's something I need to think about more. But I wonder if a lot of what we do when we sin is we settle. We don't believe in our divinity. And so we settle for fake joy, counterfeits. Um, then the Lord kind of trolls uh, uh, in a way. In 53, you know, the, his, his brothers don't lay a hand on him. They're terrified that they're going to die. And uh, in 53, the Lord says unto Nephi, Stretch forth thine hand again unto thy brethren, and they shall not wither before thee, but I will shock them. And this I will do, that they may know that I am the Lord their God. And Nephi does. He stretches forth his hand unto his brethren, and they didn't wither before them, but the Lord did shake them, even as he had spoken. And I wouldn't say it's, it's just a troll. I, I definitely think it was a test. You know, the Lord would rather put forward a test to Laman and Lemuel than strike them down. Give them a warning, a, a little slap on the wrist rather than a uh, death sentence. Uh, number two, I think it was a test for Nephi. I think... Um, on the one hand, he, it, it was possibly like an Abraham and Isaac moment where he didn't know. I mean, I guess he trusted the Lord, but to have this power one moment to know that if he touched his brothers, they would die, and then to do it after trusting that the Lord would tone it down, uh, that took some faith, I think. But also, um, the, I think the test, another test came after when in 55 uh this they they're sh shaken Nephi or Laman and Lemuel have been shaken and then they say we know of a surety that the Lord is with thee for we know that it is the power of the Lord that has shaken us and they fell down before Nephi and were about to worship him but uh he would not suffer them he wouldn't allow them to worship him I, I think it would have been tempting in that moment even if Nephi didn't want necessarily to be worshiped you know, he didn't want the glory necessarily. I think it would have been tempting to allow his brothers to worship him 
just to keep them on the path, right? Um, but that would be wrong uh, by allowing that Nephi himself would have fallen from the path of righteousness and then they all would have been condemned. And I think this is exactly how it starts with the Nehors of the world. Uh, when you believe you're righteous enough to allow people to piggyback on your own goodness, you end up steering them away from God. Uh, it can't work like that. You have to steer people toward God or you risk becoming an antichrist. Okay, moving on to chapter 18. And 18 to me has one of the most beautiful lines in all of First Nephi and one of the best moments for Laman and Lemuel because it says... It came to pass that they did worship the Lord. So they did the right thing. After all that, they they did the right thing. Also, the end of that verse says, And the Lord did show me, speaking of Nephi, from time to time, after what manner I should work the timbers of the ship. So the Lord didn't give him all up, up front how to build the ship, how to work the timbers. He didn't give him a blueprint. Um... It was line upon line. Uh, I, I really think that I'm learning a lesson that the Lord values redundancy in Revelation, the redundancy of prayer, that repeated uh, effort and turning to the Lord is key as it keeps us beholden to him. Let me ask you this. Picture a child whose father shows up once on his fifth birthday and tells him he loves him sincerely and spends a wonderful day with him. And then he leaves, and he's gone for 20 years. He comes back on his 25th birthday, a great day, tells him he loves him. And then he leaves, and he comes back on his 50th birthday. Same thing. Contrast that to a child who has his father with him day after day, they might fight, they might not always be on great terms, but he's always there, and the child is always there with him. Uh, I, I think that's the strength of the redundancy of prayer and revelation. Instead of big moments of powerful revelation only once every 20 years, 10 years, um... The Lord can constantly be there, especially because we are quick to forget. In verse 3, it kind of called me to repentance because it says that, I, Nephi, did go into the mountain, the mountain, and I did pray oft unto the Lord, for the Lord showed unto me great things. I, I'm so lazy that I most of the time can't be bothered to kneel to pray. Um, but I think that this takes a little bit of work. So that's something i got to work on. Um, and in verse 5, uh, after Nephi is done building the ship, the voice of the Lord came unto him, or actually came unto his father, and said that they should arise and go down into the ship. And there's, a, there's an important lesson there, too, um, that Lehi is still the leader and the, the prophet here. And Nephi is like an apostle or like a stake president or something. But this is an interesting distinction. You can be given individual commandments in Revelation, sometimes even big, great revelations like build a ship that the world has never ever seen. But that's the end 
of your revelation and your commandment. You don't have the right or the authority to say, well, of course, now we must sail across the great waters because I was told to build a ship. Why else would I have been commanded to do that? You could very well have been commanded to build a ship as a test of your faith, number one, uh, and nothing else. Um, the uh, Mormon battalion didn't go to battle. They just went, um, and then they were commanded to, to go back home. Uh, this, the Lord has specific hierarchies for revelation. A father reveals things for his whole family. Nephi was allowed to reveal things that pertain to his brothers because he was told by the Lord that he would be a ruler over them. A prophet has a jurisdiction over the whole world. So stay in your lane. You will not fall into the trap of the Nehors. Uh, looked to the scriptures for examples of how people were revealed certain things and commanded to do certain things up to a point and what happened when they obeyed or disobeyed beyond that. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting that Lehi then was the one to get the revelation that it's time to go. So they do. And in verse 9, And after it had been driven forth before the wind for the space of many days upon the waters in the ship, behold, my brethren and the sons of Ishmael and also their wives began to make themselves merry, insomuch that they began to dance and to sing and to speak with much rudeness, yea, even that they for did forget by what power they had been brought thither. Yea, they were lifted up unto exceeding rudeness. Notice that it does not say Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael and their wives began to make themselves merry. It says, my brethren. I speculate that maybe it wasn't just Laman and Lemuel this time. It could have been Laman and Lemuel, Sam, um, you, you know. Uh, it's even possible that it included Jacob and Joseph. Uh, but they were really young, you know, young people follow their older brothers, um, and are known to have a good time. I don't know. But what I do know is that uh, Nephi says, hey guys, let's, uh, let's repent, because it says that he was uh, really afraid that the Lord would be angry with them, and that he would smite them, that they would be swallowed up in the depths of the sea. And then it says, behold, um, they were angry with me, saying, we will not that our younger brother shall be a ruler over us. So that's not Jacob and Joseph, but it could be Sam this time too with Laman and Lemuel because then it says, and it came to pass that Laman and Lemuel did take me and bind me with cords. Um, and the important lesson in verse 11 is the Lord did suffer that it, he did allow it that he might show forth his power unto the fulfilling of his word which he hath spo spoken concerning the wicked. I think that's very interesting phrasing. I think it means that the Lord allows the righteous to suffer so he can show forth his wrath upon the wicked. Like I said before, I believe that a lot of the times the way the Lord shows his wrath is by turning his face from us and allows the entropy and the chaos of the earth to drown a boat in the ocean and, and, and break it to pieces. Um, and Nephi was certainly afraid of that. He was certainly righteous. And then in verse 12, it came to pass that after they had bound me, insomuch that I could not move, the compass which had been prepared of the Lord did cease to work. Just like that movie moment, this is the moment the Lord turns his face from them. Why doesn't the Lord protect the righteous and allow only the wicked to suffer the consequences? Uh, sometimes he does, and 
Certainly in 3rd Nephi, we see that uh, when the world is in turmoil, uh, most of the righteous people are spared. But that isn't always the case, uh, as in this situation where the ship was in danger from uh, being torn to pieces. Now, I want you to imagine that the Lord did always spare the righteous from harm and only injured the wicked. That gets into issues with choice and motivation. For example, at that point, is there any spiritual motivation for choosing to do right? Or is it always out of fear of physical consequences? Uh, I'm sure the Lord does not want us to approach righteousness based on those kinds of motivations. But number two, when the trial passes, what would the wicked have to repent of? Sorry, I was the only one hurt by my actions. That doesn't quite carry the same result or, or weight uh, as causing harm to come upon all. We're all in this together, and our uh, actions have consequences that reverberate, um, not just immediately to the people around us, but throughout the community and sometimes through generations. But also, lastly, uh, I speculate that the Lord cares more about our souls than he does about our physical welfare. Um, I always think of Job and how the Lord let him suffer a lot, even though he was righteous. Um, and basically it came down to a test to see if he would continue to follow the commandments of God. And that's the purpose of life, we're told, that uh, it's all a test to see if we will remain righteous and live out our purpose of trying to become like Christ. That means hard things happen, trials, horrible things uh, will come to pass. And those things, as a, a category of things, must happen for us to be tested. Because if things weren't hard, there would be no challenge. Um, and I know that's not comforting to people who go through hard things, um, at least not in the heat of the moment or in the depths of despair. But uh, with time, I think that's the very thing that uh, helps pull people from those depths and from that heat uh, is understanding the purpose of all those things. In verse 20, Nephi says, And there was nothing save where the power of God which threatened them with destruction could soften their hearts. Wherefore, when they saw that they were about to be swallowed up in the depths of the sea, they repented of the thing which they had done, insomuch that they loosed me. And it came to pass, after they loosed me, behold, I took the compass, and it did work whither I desired it. And it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord, and after I had prayed, the winds did cease, and the storm did cease, and there was a great calm. Notice that it doesn't say that Laman and Lemuel prayed. They didn't offer any kind of sacrifice. They didn't there wasn't a whole lot of um, sorrow expressed in these scriptures. And part of me thinks, oh, this is the beginning of the end uh, for them. But I think that there's some hope here. Um, this is the flip side of the other coin of the Lord's wrath. 
when the Lord smiles upon the righteous, Nephi, he also smiles upon the wicked. Uh, just as the ship would have been destroyed because of the wicked, uh, and thus destroying the righteous in the process, because of the righteous on that ship, it was once again steered safely to the promised land. And we know that's where they end up in the very next chapter. Uh, actually, at the end of this chapter. Now, um, there have been a lot of speculations here. I hope that they have been interesting and um, useful. Uh, I hope that they inspire, as always. And once again, if you have any comments, please leave them below. I'd love to hear your insights, your corrections. Uh, I'd love to learn as well. And uh, you can also always message me or tweet at me at Jason Akinaka on Twitter. Uh, Till next time. Bye.